0: We are related to welcome you to Inspiring Voices from the Classroom. Inspiring Voices is a -a one-of-a-kind show designed to recognize and highlight current mathematics classroom teachers and provide a positive platform that allows their authentic voices to be heard. Jose Louis Vilson is a veteran educator, writer, speaker, and activist in New York City, New York. He is the author of This Is Not a Test, a new narrative on race, class, and education. He has spoken about education, math, and race for a number of organizations and publications, including the New York Times, The Guardian, Ted, El Diario, La Prensa, and The Atlantic. He's a national board certified teacher, a Math for America master teacher, and the executive director of EduColor, an organization dedicated to race and social justice issues in education. He is currently a doctoral student studying sociology and education at Teachers College, Columbia University. is now on the board of directors for the national board of professional teaching standards and power my learning let's welcome jose louis vilson to inspiring voices from the classroom welcome to the show thanks for having me man
1: how are you doing today
2: (laughs) i'm good i'm good
1: how are you you know living this dream of being a math educator in 2022 that's how i'm feeling so however that feels that's how i'm feeling right now right now i'm energized about the work that is happening in math, math education, the work that you're doing in math education. Tell us a little about about the amazing work that you're doing in math education.
2: Well, I've been blessed to be in education now for 17 years. Um, I started teaching here in New York City um, about 2005. And I taught in this. Well, it's, it was the same school, but you already know that If you keep changing principles, it's not the same type of school. (laughs) So it was a lot of the same adults, different children. But I taught over a thousand children in middle school, six through eight in Washington Heights, New York. And that's been a blessing. And of course, I also did a bunch of activist work outside of the classroom, policy work, research work. So generally, I've just been out here doing whatever I got to do. Thinking back over that 17 years, what has been the most
1: memorable or one of the most memorable experiences during that time period?
2: You know, some of my favorite experiences is always graduation. People don't take uh, enough time to really think about what graduation means, but it's a culminating experience. And every time that there's a graduation, it's always like I, I get another championship ring. So I it's like a lie. Got, I got mad championship rings on me. I'll be like, yo, like I remember this 2005 that was my first graduation then 2008 because I had uh this the kids three straight years so that eighth grade I was able to say I taught them sixth seventh and eighth grade math um and then over time though like the, the blessing is every time you go to graduation you taught another older brother older sister and there was the, the last graduation I attended which is 2002 um I literally had uh the first child like um like the, the parent's first child the parent's second child the parent's third child i had them all on the road and of course i looked at them and said yo those are all my kids too i want a picture what i'm to me." so like those are the things that i've really been uh blessed to be part of
1: and that's what i love about education i taught high school math i taught ninth graders and when i taught them i used to teach them with graduation in mind mm-hmm. because i said i'm not preparing you for an end of the year test i'm not preparing you just for high school I'm essentially preparing you for life. That's right. And that's the same thing I think about that family of children that you taught. You prepare an entire family tree when you think about it. That's right. For life beyond school, beyond the classroom. And as I think about that life beyond school, beyond the classroom, that takes me to make me think about what is your teaching philosophy in your, when you're in the classroom, what was your teaching philosophy like?
2: I started, um, Thinking about some of that stuff when I was an undergrad at Syracuse University learning computer science and the first thing I thought of was why didn't I get any of the prerequisite courses that a lot of my peers got when they were in computer science? So we were all in computer science, computer engineering, like all sorts of engineering. And a lot of my classmates had already taken coding classes. they had already taken like higher level um, algebras and calcula, calculus and everything. And I took some of those, but I didn't take a lot of the same prereqs that a lot of my other uh, colleagues did. So uh, fast forward to my teaching career and you know there was a big narrative about uh, black boys dropping out uh latinx boys dropping out and even then the girls too and so on and so forth then i said you know what like if i really want to affect change when it comes to high school dropout rates i gotta start back in eighth grade so uh the big narrative that i've always thought about when it comes to teaching is similar to you right mm-hmm. i want to make sure that my kids aren't just prepared for sixth, seventh, seven eighth grade math i gotta get them ready for let's say the ninth grade teacher likes them or doesn't like them that they're still ready if the tenth grade teacher likes them or doesn't like them they still know how to navigate math because we already know that math ends up being one of those subjects that people want to drop out for and it's like we can't have that that's that's going to be the equity lever. and maybe there's not research out there maybe there is but for me I felt like if I started teaching my kids in 8th grade to be self-sufficient and self determinate about the math that they want to take, ooh, I'd be make a huge difference. And usually two narratives come out when I have kids who come back and tell me they're like, "Mr. Wilson, your class was so great. I felt prepared and like, you know, I'm able to like skip this grade because I knew all this content." Or it's the kids who are like, "Mr. Wilson, I'm bored." Because you taught me this way, but this other teacher taught me this way. And really, like, I could just be teaching this myself. I'm like, you're gonna teach this yourself. I welcome the challenge, my guy.
1: <laughs> and, th- and thinking about it, you've had some amazing, I call them children. If you heard me when I talk more about children, less about students, mm-hmm. because I like the terms children to humanize them. That's right. And I know from your classroom, you bring that humanizing element of who they are as a person beyond just, hey, I just gotta teach you this content. I want to jump into content. I want to talk about them and their identities in a moment. But thinking through the lens of content, all of us as math educators have something we love to teach. What is that something content-wise you love to teach
2: and why? I like to teach fractions okay. because, A, because you know, two-thirds of the country understands it and the other three halves don't. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> real talk, like I feel like if I can teach about fractions then my students can learn what it means to be fair or not through fractions. Like, and they, they start coming up with the wildest rationales for why something is correct or not. And then we can get into really some deep discussions about the content and like how we can better process it. So like, Oh, why do we have an identity property of multiplication? Oh, because like, let's say you have two thirds, um, over two thirds. Well, that's still that one thing over the other. So that's still one, what, A lot of Americans wouldn't be able to understand that, but the minute that my kids start talking about it in real-life context with the content in mind, of course, then it becomes a lot easier for them to make sense of it. Like, whether we're using um, common denominators, unlike denominators, it doesn't matter. Throw them any fraction you want. Show them an operation. Whatever you want it's fine. They're going to be well-prepared to be able to deal with whether or not they're gonna get fairness or not. Or like, even in the context of, let's say, financial literacy, whether they're gonna get robbed or not. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's always like my one or two kids who need to explain in a certain way. So I'm like, oh, you wanna get robbed? No, I don't wanna get robbed. Okay, so then you're gonna tell me whether or not that's fair or not. You're gonna tell me like, if that's an equal portion or not. And then they're like, oh, I get it now. So I'm invested in this. And even after I stop talking about getting robbed and all sorts of other violence, <laughs> then it becomes like, all right, so we got this. Like. There's something, kind of, there's something so beautiful about my students being able to tap into something that a lot of Americans, even though they feel like it's powerful, they don't quite get. So then they're able to teach it. Then they're able to use decimals and all the other representations. And that's beautiful. But for me, fractions, whichever operation you want, fave.
1: Hey, I think about that piece, how you talked about you made it real. Cause I know we said getting robbed, but for some children, that was a real moment that brought them into what you were trying to teach them. And to me, that ties into understanding children's identities. What role do they play as they come into the classroom? And then us as educators developing that relationship with them. So, what role does identity play in your classroom
2: structures? It's a must. It's a must. I mean, there is, I don't know, I don't know how you can actually teach students anything without teaching students right like we don't get up there and just teach the content that's boring and we probably had those teachers too (laughs) they just got up there sell whatever right but if we're really teaching we're actually teaching to human beings and so as a result we have to get to know them in order for them to actually trust us right so why would somebody open their mind to you if they can't even trust you as a person back right so for me i felt like a, I had to build those relationships early and often. B, I had to show them that I knew the content, of course. But then C, and most importantly, I had to show them that I care deeply about them knowing the content, along with how we got there and the reasons for that. So powerful example, like one of my first lessons was about uh, the power of a penny. I was like, okay, let's talk about penny because I want to use that as a lever for them to think about what a percentage is, right? And so I say, okay, show me this cent, cool. Now, tell me in your home language, what does cent usually mean? And they'd be like, oh, centavo. Like, a centavo in Spanish, that usually means like, you know, one something out of a hundred. Mm-hmm. Oh, so if I had two of these, if I had 10 of these, like, tell me more about this dime, this quarter. And we would just go from there. Like, and I would just use whatever they knew in order for them to really grasp it. Whereas the teacher prior to that lesson was teaching the same thing before me was doing the same formula. Oh, a percent is one out of a hundred. And so that's all you have to know. And here's a fraction. Here's the, how you write the symbol, but never help the students connect to the content through the thing that they already knew. So I don't come in ever saying my students don't know it. It's like, I want to know what you know and leverage that so that I can build a lesson out for you that's better attached to the thing that you already have within you.
1: Wow. So it sounds like... In your educational environment, you believe in what they bring into the environment, and you're just facilitating what they already have
2: within them and bringing, bringing it out of them. Oh, it's a must. It's a must. And whatever I end up teaching is just the thing that I'm like, okay, that's right above what you might already know. I just got to put it to you in a way that it becomes part of you now. So if it's, let's say, a linear graph, okay, so talk to me about the hills around you, talk to me about the subways around you. I mean, of course, I'm gonna shout out like the OGs, like the Robert Moses of the world, like any number of other people who are like, you should be responsible to the children that use the daily context. But even before I even knew who he was, I was like, there's no way I'm gonna get to this math content without actually knowing the neighborhoods around them, without like going to grab coffee from the same place where they get their bacon, egg, and cheeses, without knowing like who their communities, their mamas and their, you know, bolitas are. I need to know these things because it helps me formulate the lesson. And then of course, every t- so often I'll pop in one of their names. They're like, oh, I know who that is. Oh, she likes the Pops. that's true. Or like, oh, he likes skateboarding, that's facts. And then they'll say things like that. I'm like, okay, so if that's facts, let me give you some more facts, right? So things of that nature. I'm, I love that element. And then eventually, like, it becomes, okay, well, this is the way you want to talk about it. So then, you know, well, I'll talk about it like that with you.
1: And, and with that, you make math, as we said earlier, real. Oh, yeah. And not real as opposed to how do you use math outside of the classroom. But you're bringing <laughs> real-world context, real-life context into the classroom for them to feel a part of this person not only cares about me just passing the test, they care about the community in which I live in. They know the community who what I live in because some of the things you brought in, they, you just didn't know. You had to be a part of that community, give back to that community and have that reciprocal relationship. Going from that classroom structure into now thinking about all the things that are happening at this time. And right now we're towards the end of 2022 to give our audience context. But in education, you're, you're bringing what I say joy, just not only to this interview, just to the education as a whole. But tell our audience, what is bringing you joy right now as a mathematics educator? What is keeping you
2: going in the field and all the things that have happened over the past couple of years? Oof. Well, something I maintained in the classroom and I still maintain now is that like, I love this conscious idea of hope. But when I say hope, I don't say the same thing that other folks say. People are like, well, hope is just this really like abstract idea. It's very touchy feely. It doesn't really go hard like that. I'm like, no, actually what I know of hope I know from my ancestors. I know from people who I knew, I know from people in my community, folks who either emigrated from here, first generation, second generation, long, long ago, some of them like Stolen, robbed from their neighborhoods and you know their own spaces out back in Africa and Dominican Republic, Haiti, wherever they're coming from, right? Or they came here to start a new life, thinking that this is going to be the only pathway. I'm like, okay, cool. That's the type of hope I'm talking about. And so when people say, all right, the fact that like we actually we actually survived and in many cases thrive, that we we're able to do this thing, oh, okay, go. So let's do this. And so what keeps me going is this idea that we are very hopeful because we've been able to get this far, we can do so much more. We have all this knowledge that we can tap into. Like ours, our legacies do not start from a, a source of deficit, which too much of the history about us is always about, right? It starts from a place of joy and resources and coming together in community spaces. I can't tell you how many times, like I came into the classroom and I may be having the worst day ever, but the kids will just like crack a joke, and I'm like, all right, let's take five minutes. I'm gonna like, acknowledge your joke, and we're gonna just laugh it up, all right, and then we're gonna bring it back. Or like those moments when um, my kids wanna get into an argument about the content, and I'm like, I'm supposed to do this classroom management thing and stand <laughs> up. And like fold my arms and tell kids no behavior sit down but then like i look at some of my kids i'm like okay i'm gonna let that rock let me see what happens and they just start arguing at the top of their lungs and depending on who the administrator is they either come in and say oh you're not supposed to do that there's no classroom management or i have the good administrator who comes in and says Oh, they're arguing about math? Okay, cool. And like, we'll talk about that later, Mr. Wilson, <laughs> but you and I, we're going to be good. And so everywhere I go, like South, North, East, West, wherever I, I go, I always try to carry that message with me, which is like, you know, hope is going to look different for all of us, right? Shorty? But there are those of us who've hoped despite and because of all the things that have happened to us in our community, we're still thriving out here. We're still trying to do the things. And that's what people don't get, like, we, we, we came to this spot in really horrible conditions, yes, but it's not going to stop us from doing the thing that we need to do, especially when it comes to getting our futures to do better than we did. That's the whole thing. That's everything. And we're in, we're in the state of New York, so I got to reference DMX. And <laughs> yes. hey,
1: hey, you remember he had the song, Bring It, We Right Here, We Not Going Anywhere. And when you talk about hope, it makes me think about that song. It makes me think about the meaning behind that song is so deep oh yeah but we're still here that's right and our ancestors blood is running through our veins It's running through these children veins and all that power and energy is within us how do we harness it and how are we pushing forward to keep it going knowing they got our back and like dmx said we ain't going nowhere and with that you talked about the classroom you've talked about this concept of hope There's a teacher out there watching this right now. There's, and they could be in service or they could be pre-service. Tell them what does the classroom need to look like going forward for these children
2: to thrive and for I feel to thrive. Well, I got another DMX song for you. Go. They don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Who? They don't know. They don't know. Um, all right, so I'll say this. You know when it comes to your classroom specifically hey, this is what I want to tell you as a brand new teacher I would love for you to be able to look at your students and say I'm going to develop my whole pedagogy around you not a you specifically the individual as a student you as the collection of students that I get and so um, unfortunately right now we're still in the moment where everyone wants to talk about test scores test scores but what every other country that's so-called high performing knows is that if you attend to the actual child from within then everything is going to flow throughout like there's no reason why for example we take flowers and we just put them in a pot expect them to grow without us watering the soil without us putting seeds without making sure that the whole pot can also flourish more and more flowers right so why do we treat children like they shouldn't have a environment that they can walk into, that they can feel welcome, where they can't have the things like a teacher in front of them who they know is going to consistently pour into them time and time again, who, despite whatever weather happens, whether, you know, it's wintertime, there's all the snow, whether, whatever's happening, they know that whoever's in front of them, they're going to take care of them. And that's ultimately what we want. And so as a new teacher, I would sincerely hope that you know how to plant and garden with the rest of us because we're really out here growing seeds. You know what I'm saying? Jose,
1: thank you for being on the show. Keep up the amazing work that you're doing. And this has been Inspiring Voices from the Classroom.
0: Do you want to be a guest on the show? Fill out the online submission form at www.christopherchilds.com shows.